The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm ready to go. Right, let's start the games right freaking now. We got two hours to get you fully and finally prepared. Closing arguments for conference championship weekend start now. He's Peter King. I'm Mike Florio. It's PFT Live. How the hell is everybody? Hi, Peter. Mike, you must wait 44 hours. 44 hours until the first game. Can you do it? It seems like it's longer than 44 hours. Is it 44 hours? I think your math is wrong, Peter. Oh, geez, you're right. You're right. It's longer than 44 hours. It's, it's 68 hours. God, I didn't know Sims hours. was here today. Chris, you look different today. 68 hours. That is pretty amazing. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. It's actually two and a half days, not less than no, one day or whatever I'm saying. It's 48 plus 8, so it's 56 Right, fifty-six, 56 hours. Yeah, I mean, I have hours. some, um, I have some math lacks at uh, yes. seven a.m. Eastern on Friday, so my apologies. That's fine. It's two days, and it's strange because I had a dream last <clears throat> night, and I know nobody cares about your dreams other than you, just like nobody cares about your fantasy team other than you. But I did have a dream 
that I ran into Roger Goodell somewhere, had a very awkward hug where our cheeks actually touched, and it was it kind of freaked both of us out. But I congratulated him on an incredible division around weekend. But I said to him, now everyone's going to expect the games this weekend to be good. That's a true story. That, that's how programmed we are to think about football all the time. We dream about it. He didn't punch me. He didn't. You know, nothing else crazy happened. Like no, you know, like you know, bats flew out of anyone's ears or anything. It wasn't that crazy of a dream. But, 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 it's a thought I've had all week long. Thus, it was programmed into my subconscious to dream about it. After last weekend being the best two days the NFL has ever had, we're now kind of expecting two great games, and we're going to be kind of pissed if it doesn't happen. Look, here's the weirdest thing about the playoffs so far. If you said, okay, there's been 10 games in the playoffs so far, and if you said, rank the games from 1 to 10, seriously, the first four games would all be last weekend's games. And, and that's what is so incredible about what has happened in these playoffs. You know, the first weekend was a dud. The second weekend, there was one non-dud-like game in the first weekend, which was the Cowboys and the 49ers. That was fun. You might, might make that number four ahead of Cincinnati, Tennessee. But I don't think you would put it in the top three without, I mean, in my mind, without any question, it wouldn't be in the top three. But I think what makes the NFL fun at this time of year is that you never know what you're going to get. And Mike, as as bizarre as it sounds, as bizarre as it sounds, I will not be surprised if it's Joe Burrow, Jimmy Garoppolo at SoFi in 16 days. And no, that's what these that's what these playoffs have done. They have shown us that don't invite Joe Br- Joe Burrow to the party, you know, because he might wreck it. You know, he really might wreck it. And the 49ers have such a weird thing going right now that, I mean, think about this, Mike, with the 49ers, okay? In the, as of Sunday, in the span of 22 days, they will have gone from L.A., to Arlington, Texas, to Green Bay, back to L.A. Every game has been a must win. And so far, they've must won all of them. Even after being down 17-0 in the first game in L.A. And, you know, so, and that's why I don't, I hate the statement, oh, they're playing with house money. The Bengals and 49ers, they're both playing with house money. Do you think either one of these teams comes into the game and five minutes before kickoff say, hey, been a good run. If we don't win today, man, we got a lot to be proud of. Joe Burrow will spit in the face of your playing with house money. And so that's why I think both of these games are going to be so much fun. And I think the flip side to playing with house money is the idea that there's no expectation, there's no pressure on us. If something doesn't go according to plan, we don't get wobbly, we don't crumble, we don't start to worry, we don't say, oh crap, it doesn't become a snowball that rolls and grows and builds and runs out of control and wipes out the lodge. 
that's the benefit of being the team that's not supposed to be there. And Peter, I hadn't thought of this angle of it. I've been viewing Joe Burrow as a new Joe Montana in my mind, just from the standpoint of it's just kind of that that here I am and I'm going to kick your ass and I'm going to disrupt the accepted narrative because it was Cowboys, Raiders, Steelers, Cowboys, Raiders, Steelers all through the 70s with the Dolphins at the front end. And then we get to 1981 and Joe Montana rips the heart out of the Cowboys and it sets up 49ers Bengals. I've kind of been quietly rooting, maybe not so quietly, for 49ers Bengals part three with the role of Joe Montana now being played by Joe Burrow. I mean, how cool would it be 40 years after? And, you know, I, I guarantee you there will be some uh, uh, Joe Montana, Ken Anderson spots on our pregame show on NBC in a couple of weeks. But, Mike, the reason why it's not impossible, the reason why it really isn't impossible is that as of right now, when you look at these matchups, right, the Bengals have had six days to figure out right now how in the world are we going to protect Burrow better than we did in Tennessee. And I think what you're going to see, Mike, is you're going to see more six-man lines for the Bengals. And they're essentially going to, I mean, this is just my guess, but I think the Bengals are going to take some of the tight end out of this game and add alignment or just always play the tight end in tight to the formation. Because you simply can't, you're not going to have a chance of dueling banjos with Patrick Mahomes if you get, if Burrow gets sacked nine times and if he's running for his life on half of his other, uh, you know, dropbacks. So, in my opinion, they will do something to make sure that Burrow uh, is not uh, distracted as much as he was last week. That, I think, is going to be a huge part of that game. First of all, I love the image of Mahomes and Burrow each going back and forth with a couple of banjos. I kind of like that. That would be fun to watch. I'd pay money for that. Secondly, when you said the Bengals have to protect Joe Burrow better than they did last week, I will say this. It's a low bar. It ain't going to take much to protect him better than they did last week when he was sacked nine times, yet they still won the game. All right, we, we need to move on to other things. We're going to talk plenty about those two games throughout the course of the next one hour and 51 minutes. But let's turn to the fact that while we're waiting for the two Super Bowl teams to declare themselves, we've got a bunch of teams still. Now here we are, 19 days removed from the end of the regular season, and the coaching carousel is still spinning, but some spots are beginning to fill. And the latest one came last night, Matt Eberflus. The, the Bears go from Ryan and Matt as GM and coach to Ryan and Matt as GM and coach. Now it's Ryan Poles <laughs> and Matt Eberflus, the former defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. He was there for four years. He's the guy who took the job with the expectation Josh McDaniels was coming to Indy as the head coach and never did, but thrived under Frank Reich. Now Eberflus will reportedly become the next coach of the Chicago Bears. Your thoughts on that, Peter? The irony of in that same weekend, Josh McDaniels possibly now moving to the front of the line 
and being the favorite in Oakland is just kind of bizarre. <laughs> you know, put, to put it mildly, that Matt Eberflus gets a job and who knows, maybe Josh McDaniels gets one two days later. But look, I think that every time we get to this point of the offseason where the hiring starts, I think one of the things that we see is that after it starts, then everything goes in a rush, okay? And just because now this year, a very, very weird thing happened, and the first coach wasn't hired until 16 days after the regular season ended, and in four of the last nine years, by 16 days after the regular season ended, every coach had been hired it's a little bit different this year for a lot of reasons. But I think the Eberflus hiring basically says to the Chicago Bears, look, we know and we understand that we need a mentor for Justin Fields. We got it. We get it. We haven't forgotten that. But in the interviews we've done and in the people we've gotten to know through this whole process, that's how good Matt Eberflus has been. And that's how much better he's been than the offensive brains that we have talked to during the course of this process. So, Mike, one of the reasons if I was a Bears fan, I would be thinking I like this hire is very simply because everybody thought coming into it, they're going to get a coach to basically oversee Justin Fields. And now they obviously go to the defensive side of the ball. And the one thing I, I said when I heard this is Eberflus had to have told Ryan Poles and the Bears, I got a plan for Justin Fields. Here it is. And it is opening press conference or whenever. I'm dying to hear that plan. Well, and Peter, this is a concern that, that I... And, and I, I mentioned this yesterday, I think. We, we come back around to the same takes based upon what the calendar says. And late January takes as coaches are being hired, for me, includes a very simple point, especially if I've got a young quarterback that I'm trying to not ruin. To paraphrase what John Mara, the Giants co-owner, said the other day, they've done everything to destroy Daniel Jones over the last three years. And it is very real. You can take a quarterback and you can drop him in one city with one coaching staff and one organization and he thrives and becomes a superstar. Take that same guy, put him somewhere else into a dysfunctional pit and the various dysfunctional pits out there know who they are. I don't have to name them right now, although I probably will at some point during the show, but I digress. And, and he's a disaster. And my concern here, and this is nothing against Matt Eberflus. This is nothing against him. My concern is if he comes in Hires a great offensive coordinator. That offensive coordinator works. It's, it's like, you know, the way trains, how they lock together. The two cars on the trains lock together. That's what happens with new offensive coordinator and Justin Fields. And the Bears become great. What happens next? Offensive coordinator gets his own head coaching gig. And then you got to do it all over again. Lather, that's, rinse, repeat. That's the way I, the that's carousel why I, works? Yeah. Well, not if you get an offensive coach. Not if, not if the guy who couples – 
with your quarterback is going to be there because he's the head coach. That's that's why I'd err on the side of taking an offensive guy that I'm going to match up with Justin Fields and make sure he's going to be there ideally for 10 years with Justin Fields because if we're successful with a defensive guy, you better have a plan for the next guy. And then if you're successful, the next guy. And if you're successful, the next guy. I mean, look at Andy Reid. He's got the revolving door, uh, assuming that Eric Bieniemy eventually gets a head coaching job. And I'm starting to think that he's going to get left in Kansas City again. But it's no concern because Andy Reid is the one ultimately with the Patrick Mahomes relationship. That, that's my point. You're successful, you're going to lose your coordinators. And, and if you're a defensive guy and you lose your offensive coordinators, you just got, it's, it's going to be that, you know, the Alex Smith thing where every year you got a different offensive coordinator. I, I, I don't want that for my young quarterback. I understand that, Mike, but here's a question. Here's a question. So, you know, let's take Kansas City, even though Andy Reid's an offensive guy. A smart head coach basically says uh, to his staff, I'm not just grooming us to, you know, to have a, a coordinator who's really good, but I'm grooming the next coordinator. Okay, and right now that's Mike Kafka, you know, for for Andy Reid. And I understand that Andy's on the offensive side of the ball, so it doesn't matter as much as if he were a defensive coach. But in my opinion, what what Matt Eberflus has to be thinking, you know, honestly, when you think about it in another way, following the Andy Reid example, it's what happened when, uh, you know, when Sean McVay got really, really good on offense and so they started to hand pick or you know to 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 you know to take away his offensive coaches and in one off season he loses his coordinator Matt LaFleur and he loses his quarterback coach Zach Taylor to uh the Packers and Bengals respectively but look at look at how they have rebounded and that's why and I understand those are all offensive side of the ball guys but the one thing I would say, Mike, is if the biggest thing you would be concerned with, oh, my God, the Bears are going to win 12 games next year. Justin Fields is going to be hot as a firecracker. And John Doe, the offensive coordinator, is going to get a head coaching job somewhere. I'll sign up for that. I'll sign up for figuring out then who is going to be the guy to replace John Doe. Justin Fields may not. I, 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 look, I just when, – when you're hiring a coordinator – Offensive or defensive, you're making a projection. We talked about this a lot with Eric Bieniemy that it's not an issue of he doesn't interview well. That's bogus. That's BS. Everybody I've talked to has said he interviews great. The projection, though, is great coordinator. Can great coordinator become great coach? Is great coordinator ready to become great coach? And you just don't know. The streets of NFL failure are littered with coordinators who never were able to thrive at a fundamentally different job it's one of the chapters in playmakers gratuitous plug the peter principle that's what it is over and over and over again matt Nagy, even though he was coach of the year in 2018 ultimately he couldn't do the next level job up and and maybe they went you know we, we see this trend in the nfl where when you fire a coach the next guy's the exact opposite i mean maybe it's as simple in chicago as our last guy was an offensive coach, let's just go with the defensive coach. And I know I'm grossly oversimplifying it, but I, it just, I, I, I just, I want to know that, that there's, there's two critical relationships. 
the GM and the head coach, and the head coach and the quarterback. And I, I for that reason, if I've got a young quarterback that I'm trying to grow and develop and groom and I want to become my franchise's first franchise quarterback, true franchise quarterback since Sid Luckman, I'm going to be I'm going to be making the projection with an offensive coordinator, not a defensive coordinator. That's just my own personal preference, but it's formed by 20 years of, you know, watching how these things work or as the case may be don't work. I'm going to tell you one quick story that is is slightly tangential to this, but I think informative about this. And and that is that 10 years ago this winter Peyton Manning was flirting with a bunch of teams and it near the end, it came down to, he was very interested in the Denver Broncos. And so the two coordinators of the Denver Broncos at the time were Mike McCoy and Jack Del Rio. And he had a meeting with them and he goes, listen, I want to know that you guys are going to be here. The worst thing that can happen is if we get something good going and the coordinators leave and we got to erase the blackboard and start all over again. And they both said, hey, we're not going anywhere. We love it here. We, we, you know, we want to build something here. Blah, 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 blah. One year later, the Broncos have a great year and Mike McCoy is the coach of the San Diego Chargers. And, you know, so... And, and, and look, over the four years that Peyton Manning was there, they're the highest scoring offense in football. So they figured it out with a succession of offensive coaches, you know, including Adam Gase after that. All I'm saying is, Mike, you just, you've got to take the best head coach of the guys who you interviewed. You can't say, well, look, we loved Matt Eberflus, but... John Doe over here, he's 87% of Eberflus, but he can coach the quarterback. I just, I don't think you operate your franchise that way. Well, big difference between Peyton Manning and Justin Fields. Let, let, me, let me go farther than that. Huge yeah. difference. Peyton Manning was the offensive coordinator. Peyton Manning's the finished product. Justin Fields is the lump of clay that we don't know what the hell he's going to be. So we want to have, and I don't know what the term is. What's the term for a guy that works with clay? Whoever that is, sculptor, maybe it's sculptor. I don't know. I've been hanging around with Sims way too long. Sculptor. You want a sculptor who can take that piece of clay and turn it into something good. Manning was done. He was finished. He was a masterpiece. He was in the Guggenheim. That's where he was. So it didn't matter by the time he got to Denver. With Fields, it matters. With Fields, they are in the very fragile, early, we can still F this up phase. That's why. And, Peter, if they think they know that Matt Eberflus is going to be a great head coach, they are deluding themselves. They don't know. We don't know. No one knows. And that's why I love this time of year because we're going to see all of the superlatives on Twitter. All the people who don't know jack crap about these candidates. Oh, great hire, Bears. Great hire, Bears. Hey, can I interview him now? Great hire. Bears. No, we don't know. Nobody knows. All these hires can be great. And I guarantee you, a third of them are going to get fired within five years. That's just the way it goes. Five years? Three years? Half Two of them years. will get fired within three years. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'd say half within three years. But you're, you're right. I mean, look, I remember when Vic Fangio got the Denver job and Elway was a genius for fire, finally going adult in the room, defensive head coach, don't worry, we're going to find a quarterback and we're going to find a great offensive mind to work with him. 
Look, Mike, I have said this. I've covered the NFL for 38 years, and I think I've been saying it for 36. If you don't have a quarterback, you can have Vince Lombardi as the head coach and Bill Parcells as your defensive coordinator. Or, or Bill, uh, yeah, and, and Bill Walsh is your offensive coordinator. And you know what? You're going 7-10 and 10 next year. That's just the way it is. So don't tell me that if you put in Mike Glennon, but you've got uh, Belichick, Parcells, Walsh, Lombardi, you're going to be okay. That's crazy. You know, we saw what happened when Bill Belichick had half a quarterback in 2020 in Cam Newton. He went 7-9. and nine. It went better with Mac Jones, obviously, and they're on their way, I think, with Mac Jones. But unless you have a quarterback, it doesn't matter what other elements you have. So I totally understand, but that's why I say that the Bears, when they interviewed coaches, they had to say Eberflus is markedly better than any guy on the offensive side of the ball, and that's why they had to have hired him. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that obviously, but they're still making a projection and there's a chance they could be wrong about it. I mean, hell, John Fox yeah. got fired in Denver and he went to a Super Bowl and went to a divisional round and they lost at home to the Colts and that got you. He didn't get fired for being bad. He got fired for not being good enough. That's, you know, I said this the other day, you could have 32 great coaches, 32 great GMs, and you're still going to have teams that go seven and ten six and eleven five and twelve because you can't have a good team without a bad team and the bad teams are always going to try to get better or good teams who are dissatisfied by not being better than what they are are going to look to upgrade you know it's one of the conversations we've had about the Dallas Cowboys the past two weeks is Jerry Jones going to try to upgrade Mike McCarthy's not bad the Cowboys aren't bad but maybe they can be better uh, Rich Bisaccia, the interim head coach of the Raiders, has been linked to the special teams coordinator gig in Chicago. He and Matt Eberflus are close, and that's, it's a relationship-driven league. Look, that, that's how you find landing spots. That's how you get the job. Matt Eberflus, one of the things he says when he goes in to meet with Ryan Poles and Bill Polian and George McCaskey, hey, I'm, I think I'm Here's confident my, my special teams coordinator is going to be Rich Bisaccia. Yeah. Look at what Rich Passaccia did as the interim head coach of the Raiders. You're going to have him next year if I get this job. You're going to have him available uh, to, to help me, to, to help show me and, and, and be a, a, another voice that, that elevates this team. I'm going to deliver him. And it looks like he's going to do that, assuming that Passaccia doesn't get the Raiders head coaching job. And I think at this point, that's becoming a more and more fair assumption. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders... From the start, <clears throat> I think when when Mark Davis dismissed Mike Mayock, that was the end for Rich Bisaccia because Mayock was the biggest cheerleader for Bisaccia in the building. And so every time you look at the Raiders, and as much as we all might say that uh, Bisaccia deserved another shot, you know, we're not Mark Davis. And once he got rid of Mayock, it was pretty clear that he was going to go play the field and right now, I think uh, with one furlong to go, Josh McDaniels is ahead, and he's ahead by a little bit more than a nose. Oh, you're absolutely right, and let's focus on that. Now, I had heard over the weekend that, and, you know, you hear different things on the grapevine, but 
the, the, the grapevine, as you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tapestry. I may not be using the right word, but I really don't care. But it's, it's, there's a lot of different people at different stops on the grapevine. And any time I hear the same thing from two people who are in vastly different portions of the grapevine, that tells me it's real. And I heard the same thing last Saturday morning. Josh McDaniels to the Raiders. It's happening. It's happening. Uh, and now, obviously, I, I couldn't re- – I mean, it's still too early. So I couched it appropriately that the Raiders could be making a run at Josh McDaniels, even though no one at that point had made even a request to interview him. The Patriots are blown away by this. No one until the Raiders yesterday had made a request to interview Josh McDaniels. After what he's done over the last decade, he's been a head coach. I think folks in Denver would admit if you could – get them in a candid spot that they didn't give Josh McDaniels enough time there to really grow and develop and make his mistakes and become the guy he's eventually going to be as a head coach. But now here we are. And yes, it sure seems like at this point, it's going to be Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler from the Patriots as the GM. And it, it, it feels like McDaniels is going to be in charge just like he was in Denver. And people are going to say, well, it, it went to hell in a handbasket in Denver, but that was over 10 years ago. He's grown, he's matured, he's learned, he's developed. We all have over the past 10 years. And he's going to be a better finished product, and it kind of adds a little spice, Peter, that he's jumping back into the same division with the Denver Broncos. I don't know how I'd feel as a head coach about jumping into the division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, but what the hell? McDaniels has, has learned plenty from Bill Belichick, and it's going to make things very interesting to have him as the next coach of the Raiders if, if, because we know from four years ago, it's not done until it's done. So I will not say it's going to happen until someone sends me a picture of the contract with his name, with the ink dried, with no PS, with no codicils, with no exceptions, but it sure feels like it's moving in this direction. You know, after Josh McDaniels left Denver in the, uh, you know, under the black cloud, I remember, uh, you know, somebody who knows Josh McDaniels very well said, you can take this to the bank, that Josh McDaniels will never take a coaching job in the NFL, ever, ever. Not that he will ever even be offered one. But if he's ever offered another coaching job in the NFL, the only thing he wants to know is, do they have a quarterback? Because Josh McDaniels understands the way the NFL works. We just talked about it a minute ago. He understands the way the NFL works. If you can enter every Sunday with a competitive quarterback, and that's what Derek Carr is. He is a competitive quarterback. Now, I'm not going to say he's a top five quarterback because he isn't, but he's a competitive quarterback who can win games, who can play great, often under pressure. And so I like Derek Carr, and I'm sure that all the jobs on the market this year, you know, when Josh McDaniels looked at every one, I'm sure he just said, hey, if that one opens up, even though it's a weird situation, and it is, that's a job, maybe the job, that he would be interested in. Now, I don't know about Jacksonville. Uh, I don't even know if Jacksonville uh, did a lot of due diligence or fact-finding on him. 
But the reason why this one is interesting, and yes, obviously, you've got to play Herbert and Mahomes four times a year. That's 23% of your schedule. That's hard. But as you can see, Mike, you know, uh, the Raiders have been a thorn in the side of good teams when their quarterback plays well. And that's why, in my opinion, I think this is a very intriguing job for, for Josh McDaniels. And then on the other side, for Mark Davis, what does he want? To Mark Davis, I think this has a little, a little bit of his dad kind of tweaking the rest of the league and say, oh, you don't want to interview Josh McDaniels because he left the Colts at the altar? You don't want to interview Josh McDaniels because he imploded in Denver? I'll show you. I'm going to take Bill Belichick Jr. and I'm going to take his personnel guy and I'm going to come here and I'm going to make Patriots West. Now, you know, again, that is a gross exaggeration and I get it. But I think that Mark Davis wants to take some of the brain power and the offensive mind that Josh McDaniels is away from New England. And that is going to be how he's going to build his team for the next four or five years. I don't really think it's that gross of an exaggeration. I could see Mark Davis thinking that exactly. Now, I don't know when Patriots West, South, East, or North, not that North is even possible, I don't know where that's worked. That's the problem. It hasn't worked very well. When you decide, for example, the Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia show in Detroit, that didn't work. Brian Flores in Miami, that didn't work. And, and the reason why it fails is because, this is one of the reasons, these guys who leave Bill Belichick after an extended period of time, even if they say, I'm going to do it my own way, I'm my own person, I'm my own coach, you've been around the guy for so long, you don't realize how much you're like him. You don't realize how many of his ways have crept into your ways. It happens by osmosis. And the challenge is, and this gets back to McDaniel's time in Denver, the people around you need to be patient while you are doing what needs to be done to infuse the Patriot way into a new organization because there are going to be people there who are set in their ways and they don't like it. They resent it. They don't like that the coach is kind of an ass. And guess what? Plenty of effective coaches are kind of an ass. And you have to have higher standards. You have to have a very hard-charging, full-blown commitment, grinding and grinding, attention to detail, the kinds of things that derailed the Cowboys in that fateful moment with 14 seconds left in the wild-card game against the 49ers. That's the kind of thing that a detail-oriented coaching staff doesn't let happen. So th that's the challenge. Mark Davis has to be patient to let it play out. And, you know, Peter, you said something about having a quarterback. Josh McDaniels had a quarterback. When he got to Denver, he had Jay Cutler and he got rid of him first order of business. And it makes me wonder, what's he going to do with Derek Carr if he gets that gig? Does he get rid of Derek, Derek Carr? Carr is not Jay Cutler. Derek Carr is not Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler is a weird guy who uh, had, had basically... Well, he didn't know, you know he was weird, semi -worn, he, he had semi-worn out his welcome. He had semi-worn out his welcome. What had he won? And, and look, I, I mean, 
you know, I, I will I will make this point about McDaniel's <laughs> when he got to Denver, okay? And that this I think is really really important. When Josh McDaniel's got to Denver, he determined, okay, that he was going to do things a certain way. And so he said, if I ever get a coaching job, this is what I'm going to do. And a bunch of the things he decided. But I'll give you one example. He brought his brother, Ben McDaniels, to be the quarterback coach, who basically became the Tebow uh, mentor, you know, every day and doing everything with him. And, and, and at one point, at one point, I'm sure that a lot of people in the building looked around and said, you know, Ben McDaniels is, has not done enough to, be, to take this really important job with this team. I mean, and this is the classic case of NFL nepotism. Josh McDaniels shouldn't have done that. There was no doubt about it. But he felt like his brother was a really good coach, and it wouldn't matter if he was, and if he was a great coach. What, what mattered is the appearance of it. And the appearance was lousy, quite honestly. And so I think that's one of the things at this point that, uh, that, this, that, that McDaniels has learned. You know, everything matters. Everything counts. Appearance counts. I don't know who's going to be on his staff, but I do think he learned a lot from being in Denver that will transfer into this job in, uh, in Vegas. If he gets it. I don't know if he's going to get it, but if he does get it. Well, and if he ultimately takes it, look, yeah. I don't think we've ever seen the definitive explanation about what went haywire four years ago when he had accepted the job. And I think this is one of the reasons why some teams are shying away from it, because he, he violated the etiquette of yeah. this, this process that requires leaps of faith to be made. This is no different than if, for example, the Lions the middle of March last year had said to the Rams, I know that for the past six weeks we've operated under the impression that we're going to trade you Matthew Stafford once we actually can trade you Matthew Stafford, but we've changed our mind. Sorry, Rams. That's the kind of thing that's hard to come back from. And that's where Mark Davis has to make the leap of faith that, that, and not, not that Josh McDaniels would say I'm out after he says I'm in, but, you have to be guarded against the possibility that something's going to cause Josh McDaniels before he says, I'm in, because obviously at this point, don't have to wait for him. He says, I'm in, he signs the contract, it's done. But at some point short of that, he could change his mind. And whether it was a Patriots thing that got him to stay in New England, whether it was a Colts-related thing, something happened with the Colts that caused him to say, I'm not coming here, I can't do this. You, you just don't know, and I don't know. And with Josh McDaniels, it's the epitome of it's truly not done until it's done because there could be something that goes down, whether it's Robert Kraft mobilizing to yeah. keep him or, or, or Josh McDaniels, frankly, realizing after meeting with Mark Davis, this isn't Robert Kraft, all due respect, that you know, the, somewhere in between, some combination of the two could make McDaniels say, I, I'm, I'm going to wait I'm going to wait a little bit longer. And once he realizes, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. Once he realizes there's a good chance there's also going to be Aaron Rodgers in the division, maybe, maybe I wait one more year. What a division. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which doesn't belong in why? Justin Herbert, really? Patrick Mahomes, those four, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr. Those four quarterbacks in the division. I, I mean, you know, hey, look, the, the most interesting thing about that prospect, at least to me, is that that would be the best, of, best quarterback division, I think, in NFL history. Uh, how could it look? There's two guys who are lock Hall of Famers. There's another one, you know, in terms of Justin Herbert, who, I mean, he looks like he's on his way to being great for a long time. And Derek Carr, I doubt he's going to the Hall of Fame, but Derek Carr can win a game against any one of those quarterbacks any week. And so I just, that would be a phenomenal thing. And look, we'll talk about Denver a little bit later, but I can I can just tell you that, you know, I think that everybody in Denver would love that to happen, but there's absolutely no lock that it's going to happen. Well, and I'll say this. And, and I mean no disrespect to Derek Carr either. I just think he's in a different class than the other three. It could be Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, and me. And it would be the greatest quarterback division in NFL history. I mean, I, the fourth one doesn't matter. The Ringo star doesn't really matter here, although I have newfound respect for Ringo after watching the Get Back documentary. Sorry for all the times, Ringo, I've acted like you have no talent. Ringo actually has plenty of talent. So I got to come up with a better analogy for that. I, but, but still, the fourth wheel of that division would be Derek Carr. The other three are the ones that make it the greatest quarterback division ever. And, and that's, hey, look, the smartest thing Tom Brady did two years ago was pick a spot where he knew the deck would be stacked in his favor. The, the Aaron Rodgers possibility of Denver you're choosing a hell of a challenge there. You're not going to the spot where you map out all the teams and strategically say, hmm, okay, where's the best chance for me to run the division, to get five or six wins in the division, to be the champion and win enough games that maybe I'm the one seed? You know where that is? That's where he is right now. If he looked at all 32 teams, where he is right now is his best spot to do that. So... He'd be, he'd be making one hell of a gamble, Peter, if he jumps to the Broncos, especially if McDaniels takes over the Raiders because he's going to walk through the door with a plan at quarterback and a plan to make that guy every bit as good as the others. I mean, right now, today in 2022, Aaron Rodgers' best chance to win a Super Bowl is in Green Bay. But, Mike, nothing is forever. The salary cap in Green Bay is really not in great shape. And if you do, if you're able somehow to sign Devontae Adams long-term, I mean, that makes it even worse. You're going to lose valuable pieces. You may not have a left tackle going forward. You know, who knows the future of David Bakhtiari? You know, Elton Jenkins is really good, but you've got issues in Green Bay as well. And if Green Bay keeps Aaron Rodgers... <clears throat> excuse me, they have to pay him in a big way that further exacerbates the problems with the cap. So look, I understand everything that you're saying. Everything is absolutely the case. But I just look at Denver and I look at a team that has a top 10 defense, three really good receivers right now, and a good left tackle. And what are they missing? 
They're missing a quarterback. And I don't sit here and say, if Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver, oh, they're better than Kansas City. If Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver, they are on the level with Kansas City. I say that without trepidation. They are on the level maybe a little bit better than the Chargers. And they're, 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 they're better than the Raiders. So, Mike, I, I am not one of those who say, oh, my God, what's Rodgers doing? They're never going to be able to win there because of that division. I don't say that at all. I say I think if Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver next year, he is 4-2 and two in that division in far and away the toughest quarterback division ever in the NFL. I, I, I'm not certain of many things, but I am certain of this. If Aaron Rodgers ends up in Denver, Howard Katz, who puts the schedule together for the NFL, will be getting the biggest fruit baskets he's ever seen from the networks as they map out which networks get Denver, Kansas City twice next year. <laughs> We've been waiting for Mahomes and Rodgers. It always gets derailed. There's a chance we get it two times next year and maybe, maybe but and hey mike 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 nfc championship for, this year maybe we get it three times you're forgetting the greatest game of all next year mahomes josh allen the rematch mahomes josh allen roman numeral five already and they're only 26 and 25 years old and they're not in the same division i mean that is going to be hey look if Rodgers goes to, goes to the West, you're absolutely right. But the number one game on the schedule next year is Kansas City-Buffalo. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with that. Look, it's, it's going to be fascinating because the quarterback carousel or the coaching carousel spins every year, and it's still spinning. The quarterback carousel is going to start moving too. Sunday, with the Rams in the NFC Championship, it's the one-year anniversary of the Rams unofficially trading for Matthew Stafford. That's how early these things happen. Now, this year, everything's a week later than it was last year. But my point is this. Teams and quarterbacks and agents and backroom conversations surely are already happening about where quarterbacks yeah. could possibly land in 2022. It doesn't happen. You know, Aaron Rodgers says he's going to make a decision by the start of free agency. By the start of free agency, there's going to be a lot of things decided and a lot of things put in motion. That's just the way it now works. Let's take a break. Speaking of backroom deals, Sean Payton told Dan Patrick yesterday that there were some back-channel efforts to get his attention to potentially coach in 2022. We'll tell you what he had to say when those overtures were made, plus more when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. How many teams have reached out to you? Not one. Nobody. The networks, not, well, they, they, they would have to reach out to the Saints. And, and look, you, you know this. You can have a backdoor, hey, would you have any interest? Um, that's happened maybe with a couple, a couple clubs, but I, I'm, not, I'm not looking at that path right now. But you have had teams back channel, third party. Uh, the two. When I say that, all I'm saying is somebody who's close to someone, man, you'd be really good here. Um, it, this, this is only, we're 24 or 48 hours removed from it, and that's not my plan. That's not my plan. We have no intent to trade Percy Harvin. Look, plans change. And Peter... Later, he was asked, because Dan, Dan, Dan's great. He'll keep trying to get it out of you. Asked if it was the Bears and the Cowboys that reached out through intermediaries, not the Bears and the Cowboys. Uh, and, and we know how this stuff happens. We were just talking about it. Back-channel things happen all the time. If I'm Jerry Jones, because the thinking is he'll go after Sean Payton next year. If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm doing it now for a couple of reasons. One, and look, I say this with full acknowledgement that I will feel the same way as I am closing in on 80. If I'm closing in on 80, I ain't waiting a year to do anything that I want to do now. I'm doing it now. Whatever it is, whatever's on the bucket list, bucket's getting closer. I'm getting it crossed off while I can. Second of all, once Sean Payton gets a taste of the kind of money that he can make in the media with the reduced amount of time and stress and overall wear and tear on your body at age 58 that coaching does. And, you know, the Bill Cowher effect, like, hey, I kind of like this. I mean, Sean Payton could possibly make more money in the media than he's made as a coach with the Saints, even though he's one of the top highest, uh, one of the top three I doubt paid that. coaches in the NFL. I doubt that. Uh, uh, well, okay, that. talk to Pat McAfee about it. I, I Look, the world's changed, well, Peter. Okay. The world's well, changed. Well, that's $30 million. How many people for one year or two years? Uh, because what, what TV entity right now, what TV entity right now is paying Sean Payton $10 million for one year? Or $10 million for, million for one year? For one year. Well, well, look, here's the reality, though. It's not happening. And I know Sean... Sean aspires, ah, nah. Sean aspires to work games, and I think he'd be great at working games. But you know what else he'd be great at? Yeah, he'd be great doing this for 
three hours a day. He did a 90-minute press conference the other day, and not once, yeah. not once did I say, well, this guy shut the hell up, please. Not once. Right. And, and, you know, you've talked to him. I've interviewed him. He's a great teacher, and he loves to teach people about football. And he's acutely aware of the, the allure of a guy like a John Madden who, who made football accessible and understandable. Now, Madden did it in the sliver of time that was available to him between plays, but the world's different now. The world, you know, the, yeah. there wouldn't have been an opportunity for John Madden to have one, two, three hours to talk about what happened the prior week. Could you imagine? And, and look, I'm, I'm not interested in inviting any competition here, but I don't care. I think he'd be great at it. I want it to help inform my understanding of the way the game works. The morning after the Cowboys 49ers game, could you imagine Sean Payton breaking it down for two hours? Everything that went right, everything that went wrong, breaking down that final 14 seconds, moment by moment, frame by frame, here's what you do, here's what you did right, here's what you did wrong. And he can do that immediately. He knows immediately when he's watching a game, here's what they did wrong. Here's what they need to do differently. And my point is this. The cash has fallen from the sky. It, it dawned on me watching his press conference the other day, the Mike flag in front of him, Caesars logo. The sports books are throwing money at people. Tony Romo's making almost $20 million a year to call games. You got the McAfee deal at $30 million a year, regardless of whether it's a hard 30 or it's 15-plus incentives. Whatever it is, it's big money. And Peyton's in the range of 15 to 20, well, was in the range of 15 to 20 with the Saints once you account for all the other ways that they funnel money to these folks in order to hold the official numbers down so the market stays down for coaches. That's what they've been doing for years. I digress. But th there's a way he can cobble together something that dollar for dollar, hour for hour, my point is this, after a year of it, going back to coaching may not – seem as attractive to Sean Payton because well, Mike, I got a better life you, now and uh, I don't have to carry around this baggage of some official with his head up his butt or a weird bounce of the ball or a rogue gust of wind or some other thing that removes from my control whether or not my football team wins games and whether or not I ultimately get fired. What makes you think and Nothing that you said is wrong, but there's two things that you are assuming, okay? One is that Sean Payton is going to get on TV for two hours and he is going to roast some coach for a bad decision <laughs> he made on Sunday. That he did it yesterday. Is something he did it yesterday. Mike, Mike, Mike. It's not, I'm just saying that every week, if you did this job, you would have to be willing to burn some people who are your friends to be really, really good, okay? Now, I'm not saying he wouldn't do that. I don't know. But I'm saying you're assuming that he would do that. And if he would do that, then even if it's only for one year, I would pay him 10 or 12 million bucks. Okay, but you're also assuming that he is going to be what Bill Cower was. And I think Bill Cower basically is a unicorn. He left the Steelers at whatever, 49 or 50. And deep down inside, although he knew he would listen, I think he knew that he might have had enough at that point. 
Sean Payton does not think at age 58 that he has had enough. I can tell you this. You can tell you this. And who knows? Maybe times change. Feelings change. But Sean Payton wants another bite at the apple. He wants another chance to take a different team to win a Super Bowl. He really yes. wants that. One or two years out, and then we'll see. And, and look, things could change. You're right about that. But I'd say right now, easy 70-30 that he wants to coach one more team. The coaches who have won a Super Bowl with one team are acutely aware of the fact that no one has ever taken two teams to the top of the mountain. No one. So whoever does it first may not be the last, but will be the first. And the coaches who have that one Super Bowl championship or more than one with one team are very aware that no one's ever done it with a second team. And I think he would very much like to do that as of right now. My point is times change, circumstances change, life changes, and he may get to a point where he recognizes, I really like taking the knowledge of a lifetime of coaching and using it to educate, entertain, inform people in a way that is accessible and understandable. It's not littered with jargon. He's not going to feel the need to impress his friends in the coaching industry by saying double A gap and cross the face over and over again. He would explain it as if he were talking to yeah. his mother about it, like John Madden did. Like, and John, that's what made John Madden great. He was able to take something inherently complicated and make it simple. And I think Peyton would do that in a longer form setting that would be interesting and compelling and lucrative. That's all. I, my point is this, Jerry, if you want this guy, don't assume he's going to want to come back and work for you next year or the year after. If you want him, now's the time to peel off some of that super yacht maintenance money and offer it to Sean Payton. Make him an offer he can't refuse. You know Make what him I an don't offer want to he do? won't refuse and hire him now. No. I'll tell you why I don't want to do that at all. You know why? Because Sean Payton doesn't want to do it right now. How many times does he have to say, I want a year or two to myself? So if Jerry Jones fires Mike McCarthy tomorrow and says, Sean, here's $20 million, what's he going to do? He's going to take the job. And you know what he's going to say when he sits in the star? Not the first day, not the second day, because he was gonna, he'll say, oh, this is great. When he finally sits down to do the job, to hire a staff, to do the job. You know what he's going to say? F. What have I done? You know why, Mike? Because some things right now are more important than money. They really are. And to Sean Payton, he needs to get away from this for a little while, to breathe and to have a life. And if you force him to go coach this year, which is what Jerry Jones would be doing, I don't think it would end well. Well, well, I, I suspect that Jerry Jones has a long history of persuading people to do things they really don't want to do, but successfully getting them to How do it that anyway. How has that worked out that's other than with wants. Jimmy Johnson? How has I, that worked I, out? Well, no, I, I'm talking about... Did he ever I'm win talking, with Parcells? <laughs> I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about the billions that he's amassed in business that he's well, convinced let's talk people football. to do things Forget they don't want to do. Forget about the billions. Talk I know, football. but my point is this. 
I listen, but my point, my it's point a is big mistake. I I'm not I'm I'm, I'm okay. not saying it's smart. All I'm saying is if he ever wants him, if he th- if he if he ever wants him, he, th- this may be his only chance to get him. So if he if if there's a chance he isn't going to get him in a year or two because Sean Payton's making damn good money and enjoying his life and even more hardened in his feeling. Cuz Peter he said it himself, I don't plan to coach. He, that's not an accident. He said that over and over again. I don't plan to coach. He didn't say no way no how I'm definitely taking this year off. There's no way I'm coaching. He said I don't plan to coach. And He's smart enough to send the message. We're smart enough to pick up on the message. When he says plan, that means plans can change. Yes, they can. And it would be a mistake. It would be (laughs) a big mistake. That's all I'm telling you. Because he doesn't want to do it right now. He doesn't want to. So... I don't ever want to go into a job where I say I'm taking this because of money. I mean, I do. Just, <laughs> he's got, you know what? It just, it's not the right way to go into this job. Listen, cast your fate to the wind for a year or two. See what happens. See how high you can make this media thing go. And then when you're ready to go back, you're going to have 10 teams throwing a job at you take your choice in 2023 or 24 but right now enjoy yourself get away from football a little bit and that's i just think it's a big mistake if 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 money or something else would force him to go back in because he does not want to go back in right now I don't disagree with that, but again, plans can change, and there's a certain amount, and I've said this before as it relates to like college coaches, like a Nick Saban, during that period of time where he really, yeah, even now, I think the window's long closed on it, but there was a point five or six years ago where, you know, this is simple. There was a report, I remember Jim Irsay was going to go big name hunting. There's a number that you put on the table that gets Nick Saban to leave Alabama. There's a number. There's a number that, that he can't say no to. At a certain point, you stack up enough money, and he'll do it. The question is, how much are you willing to devote to a coach? And I've said this many times this week, Peter. Jared Goff's making $33.5 million a year. Bill Belichick is somewhere between 20 and $25 million. What's wrong with this picture? Coaches are far more valuable than what they get paid, and that's part of what I believe is a not-so-subtle effort by the NFL to hold, the money, hold it down. There's no salary cap and there's no salary floor when it comes to coaching pay, but – uh, dollar for dollar impact on what a team can do. And, and again, as we see more and more of this gambling money get injected into the NFL, we're going to see, we're going to see somebody make a huge offer to somebody who would otherwise rather not coach, but is going to decide to do it anyway. Let's take a break. AFC championship preview Bengals at Chiefs. We'll talk about that when PFT live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/slash activecash.